What's up? It's episode 30, Pain Points of Wealth, and the economy is opening up at warp speed. We literally have had 100 million COVID-19 vaccine doses administered. As we're recording this podcast, the economic data is looking better and better. We're seeing a huge rotation in the stock market that we identified for you months ago. So the world is changing. The world is shifting. The world is opening up. We're going to break down how you need to play that with your portfolio, what you need to be thinking about with regards to the economy, along with what risk do you have in your portfolio? What risk don't you see in your portfolio? We're going to point out all the different risks that you need to avoid as the economy reopens, the world becomes a better place. Get excited. Let's hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Hey, Chris. Hey, Ryan. I'm excited because I got two of those 100 million doses that were distributed. I'm fully vaccinated, supposedly 95% effective. Not only am I not going to get COVID, but because I'm wearing my mask, washing my hands, I'm not shaking hands, I'm not getting a cold or a flu either. And meanwhile, stock market is in a big, booming bull market right now. Well, it's hard to believe that almost a year ago, we were sitting here and the market was almost rock bottom. And all the pundits were saying that it's going to take years for this recovery. You know, we're not going to get a vaccine for a long time. And I think at one point they had said that we wouldn't get a vaccine until summertime. And now look at where we are. We've got a vaccine. 10% of the population is already fully vaccinated. Yeah. Hey, Chris, this time last year, all the economists were saying, well, it's going to be shaped like a hockey stick, like a K, like a W. Hey, you know what? It's been a big V. It's gone straight up because the market is recovering because there was nothing wrong with the economy. They just shut it down. The government shut it down. It was a government mandated shutdown. It was like a neutron bomb where, you know, everything, all the capital equipment, the buildings, the supply chains, they're all still there. All they had to do is turn the switch back on and boom, here we are. We're going to have maybe 10% GDP before this is over. Well, I think the big thing is it's a good lesson learned here when you start looking at Wall Street pundits in general. You know, they're always so, so negative. You know, Wall Street's a negative group (laughs) when you get them together. And I think what was remarkable about last year is the government named this whole operation, Operation Warp Speed. And man, do they mean warp speed? And the market got the memo. Literally roughly a year ago, we saw the market at its bottom and it just turned on a dime and started recovering and it hasn't looked back since. Meanwhile, the strategists on Wall Street are looking to poke holes in this big booming economy that's upon us that you guys, we've been talking about week after week, but it just blows my mind how wrong Wall Street's been and continue to be wrong on where the economy's going where the market's going, where interest rates are going. I mean, if they didn't have a wrong opinion, they wouldn't have an opinion at all. You know, absolutely right about an educational moment, a learning event was last year's bear market, mini bear market, because it was coming on top of a real bear market because we were at a bear market in value stocks and emerging markets and commodities. And what's been the best return asset class since then? Value stocks, commodities, small cap values up 25% year to date, guys. We're only in mid-March. On go figure, all these pundits on Wall Street are suggesting that we add money back into the tech stocks just because it's experiencing a short-term dip right now. Well, it's probably not a bad idea, Chris, because you know they're going to benefit, but they're just not cheap. 
You know, what I always say is great things happen to stocks at low prices. I'd rather buy low prices and have great things happen than just be following the Wall Street crowd. Well, I think there is a Wall Street consensus right now, and we've had interest rates go up a lot over the course of the last couple of weeks, and inflationary pressure is starting to kick in. We've seen commodity prices go through the roof. Like copper is at the price it was back in 2011. That's how much some of these commodities have moved. Oil prices now are above where they were before the pandemic. But there's this big belief on Wall Street that, well, maybe this is just a short-term blip on the radar screen. Maybe you know inflation is really not going to kick in in a big way. Maybe interest rates aren't going to go higher here. And if that's the case, well, you want to continue to own those tech stocks and own those bond funds. But from everything we're looking at, and again, just to bring this down to layman's terms, is if the economy is going to run hot the second half of the year, because the entire world's going to reopen, and they sprinkled all this money on the economy that we're going to spend, well, odds are we're going to see a lot of inflation going into the end of the year, which again, going to you just said, Bob, that speaks to owning old school stocks, stocks that pay dividends, you know, stocks that benefit the most from the reopening of the economy, and technology is not that place. Hey, Chris, call me crazy, but these pundits keep telling me that this uptick in inflation is temporary. When you print $5 trillion, isn't historically that very inflationary? Well, you're absolutely right, Dad, and nothing in life is free. And with all that cash being given out, inflation is probably inevitable at this point. Yeah. So I think, again, that's why it's so important to think about your portfolio and how you position it right now, because it's almost like with the market and we call rotation and all that really means is the losers of the past become the winners and the winners of the past become the losers. And you have to think about last year. We literally lived in a virtual world for the whole year. Imagine your Peloton and you're going public last year and your whole market is based on people staying at home and working out at home, not going to the gym. And all of a sudden, the entire global economy shuts down and everyone has to stay at home. I mean, you're thanking the market gods every single day that your business model just had a huge uptick because now everyone's doing what you would dream they would do. They'd stay home and order your bike. Now, that's not the same dynamic that's happening now. We're like becoming an unvirtual world, if that's possible. We're going to be doing less staying inside. And that speaks to other parts of the economy benefiting Again, I always joke about it, not sitting in on our Peloton on Zoom calls. Like that world is changing. You've got to adjust your portfolio accordingly. You know, Rob, I've been surveying our clients. Chris, I've been talking to everybody saying, hey, what are you going to do when everybody's fully vaccinated? You know, oh, I'm going to go on a trip, Bob. I'm going to take that cruise. I'm going to buy a new car. We're building a new house. We're going to go to the park again. We're going to go out and go to the gym again. Nobody said, I'm going to go home and sit on my Peloton and never go out again. So just use your head. It's common sense. People are ready to explode. They're going to explode on the economy with all this pent-up demand and all this cash they've been hoarding. Well, that's a great point, Dad. You know, especially with people starting to get out more, travel more. You know, we're starting to see the price of oil go up. And Ryan had pointed out earlier about how some of these quote-unquote old-school stocks are really going to take advantage of this. When you have a company like Exxon, for example, you know where their costs are fixed, so any increase in oil usage is basically going to go to the bottom line. Yeah, and again, that goes back to inflation. Inflation means that things are going to cost more. <laughs> and the whole idea is if we're all out buying stuff at the same time, uniformly around the globe, and we're all chasing the same goods. And you know, last time I looked, supply chains are screwed up. So Bob, I know with your new condo down there in Naples, with anything you're ordering right now, it's taking forever to get it. And the economy's not even reopened yet. Imagine when that demand goes up exponentially over the next couple of months and these supply chains still haven't kept up with demand, 
And what happens is the costs go up because you have more people all trying to buy the same goods. I mean, it's just basically demand is outstripping supply. And this is extremely inflationary and people aren't talking about it enough. No, I don't think they are, Ryan. You look at the unemployment rates now, the 6.2% and the hospitality industry is still shut down. So you're going to see employment probably at 4% by the end of the year. We're going to be back to normal. I mean, even look at oil. Oil was a negative $37 a barrel this time last year, and it's now $70 a barrel. And that's inflationary. You get over $70 a barrel, that impacts everything. It impacts the delivery on your UPS truck, on your Amazon delivery. It impacts manufacturing. Everything you buy, there's some oil or soybean meal in there. And I'm telling you what, guys, those prices are going up and companies aren't going to eat it. They're going to pass it on to you and they're going to keep buying back their stock and they're going to keep increasing dividends. If you're not long right now, you're wrong. Well, that's exactly right, Bob, because at the end of the day, inherently, owning stocks is an inflation hedge. And I get this question all the time. What are we going to do if inflation kicks in? Do we go to cash? No, you don't go to cash. Cash pays nothing. It's not growing your money. Whereas companies benefit from inflation the most because if the prices go up, if companies get to raise their prices because of inflation, well, if you're a shareholder of that company, you benefit because you get those profits. So you've got to position your portfolio for the next 10 years, not the last 10 years. Ignore Wall Street. They're a negative bunch. Get your portfolio ready for the future. And that means inflation, higher interest rates, and a booming economy. Hey, I hope you're enjoying episode 30 of Pain Points of Wealth. If you like our content, you love it. Don't be shy. Click on that like button, subscribe to our channel, leave us a comment, and forward along if anyone else can benefit from the advice, the viewpoint of the pain boys. If you think my comments are better than Bob and Chris's, don't be shy. Put that in the comment section as well. All right, Chris and Bob, it's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And Chris and Bob, I thought today, given the 2,000 families that we help manage their finances, you know, we get a really great insight into the psychology of investing, of financial planning. And I think one of the most important components is risk in the way that we view risk. And we look at risk in our portfolio and we look at risk when it comes to getting to our goals, financially speaking. So I thought we could talk about some of the questions you need to be asking yourself right now when it comes to risk in your portfolio to make sure that you're on your path to financial independence. You know, guys, when it comes to portfolios and portfolio management, I always call the four P's that really matter. And the one P that stands out every time I review a portfolio is portfolio risk. And believe it or not, 90% of every portfolio I've ever reviewed, ever looked at, 90% of the investors were taking way more risk than necessary to achieve their stated goals. That's a really good point, Dad. I recently brought on a new client, and one of the things that she told me right up front was that she didn't want to take a lot of risk, that she wanted a conservative portfolio. And I pointed out to her on her statement, the very front page of her statement from her existing advisor pointed out specifically that it was a moderately aggressive portfolio that she had. So it was the complete opposite of what she actually wanted. I have a feeling, Chris, if it says aggressive in the title, that's not a riskless portfolio. <laughs> and you know, I think it's remarkable, Bob, and you talk about this all the time, that a lot of times our feelings tend to match our risk in our portfolio because in our world, the financial services world, the way that they manage your risk is they make you take one of those surveys every couple of years it's usually a five, six questionnaire asking you how you feel about risk. You know, it's kind of like going to the doctors when you're 18 years old and, and you answer the questions. Maybe there's five questions. You get your physical. The doctor says, hey, you're fine. You're in great shape. I'll see you when you're 90. That's what happens with these financial advisors. They have you take these 
questionnaires. You answer them honestly, and then they never ask them again. Matter of fact, they never update your portfolio. We met with someone the other day. They supposedly have a moderate portfolio. Their target allocation was to have 50% in stocks and 50% in bonds, only they were 90% in stocks and 10% in bonds. And they said, well, we're working on getting back to that target. Like, when's that going to happen? Yeah, yeah, we're so lazy that we will not take the time to do your risk again to, for 40 years. Well, it's worse than that because we always do it emotionally. So if you take that risk tolerance test, Bob, you talk about this a lot, and the market's going straight up and you're feeling really bullish, your animal spirits are out, well, your risk tolerance is invariably higher. Whereas if the market's down big, it's like a big sell-off like we had during the pandemic last year, your risk tolerance is probably lower when you take that risk tolerance test. So unfortunately, if you're taking a risk tolerance test, like that means you're getting less aggressive when the opportunity is the best and you're most aggressive when the market's the riskiest. That's a horrible way to dictate risk in your portfolio. So the risk tolerance can be pretty subjective. So I think really the way that you truly can measure risk is looking at the financial plan, You know, having your plan help you dictate how much risk you actually need to take. But see, risk is inherent in everything. And if you look up the word risk in a dictionary, it'll tell you what it means. It's the possibility of loss. It's the possibility of damage. It's the possibility of injury. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want my portfolio to be damaged. I don't want to lose and I don't want to be injured. And the problem I see today, and it's not their fault, but the average financial advisor has never seen a bear market in bonds. They've never seen interest rates go up. We've been in a big, booming bull market in the bond market for 40 years. Well, it ended last year, all right? Interest rates are going up. And you may not realize that half your portfolio is in bonds, but they're in the wrong vehicle. You're in a bond fund, which in my opinion, is a weapon of mass financial destruction. Well, that's the thing is because when it comes to risk in your portfolio, you only know it in hindsight. You only know after the fact when, like your point, Bob, interest rates go up. We only know we're in a tech bubble when the tech bubble bursts, because every day the markets go higher, you reinforce your belief that what you're doing is the right thing. And ironically, you know the best time to make a change is when the wind's actually at your back. And most of us don't do that. We wait for the market to collapse on us. And then in hindsight, go, oh, shoot, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And that's why it's like so important to do a deep dive of your investments. And what we look at all the time is like, what could go wrong here? What possible scenario could ruin this for you? And these are the questions you need to ask yourself or consult with a professional because, again, you're not going to know before it happens that you have too much risk. And that's why it's so important to put your portfolio into what we call that stress test and look at every scenario that could happen in the future. Well, you would think if you take more risk, you get more reward. And that's typically the case. But if you look at how the markets act, they're very volatile. Take the last year. We had a 35% decline. Now we've had a big booming rally since then. But who did better last year? Someone who was 100% in stocks, lost 35%, then got back even and gained a little bit? Or the investor who has a balanced portfolio, whose bonds went up in value when the market declined this time last year, took some profits out of that bond portfolio and bought stocks on sale. Not on sale, on a fire sale. I mean, they were dropping like rocks. We were like kids in a candy store. You know, everything's on sale and we had money to buy. It doesn't do you any good if you don't have any negatively correlated asset class in your portfolio. Hey, Rye, tell them what that means. What it means to me, Bob, is there is one free lunch as an investor, and that's called spreading out your risk. And I mean, I get this comment all the time. Well, you know, I want to take advantage of this big growth market here. I want to be more aggressive right now. I want to get while the getting's good. And that's the wrong mentality. 
Because the irony is a more conservative portfolio, to your point, Bob, does better over time. You know, by having stuff that's conservative in your portfolio, the best opportunity is not when the market's going up, it's when the market sells off big like it did last year. And you have the ability to buy because you have these safe investments over here you can pull from and you can buy when the market's down. That's what creates the most wealth. Buying when things are down and when the market goes down, protecting your downside. It's not getting all the upside. That's like the most incorrect thing that investors believe. And it's going to happen again because the markets are going up. And I'm looking at your portfolios right now. You have lots of money in technology, growth stocks, and you think you're just cleaning up right now. What you don't know is you're sitting on a time bomb because when that market goes down, you're not protected at all. And that's what's going to dictate your performance long-term is how much you didn't lose on the downside. Well, I think that's the other side of that coin, Ryan, are people who don't take enough risk. In other words, they don't have their money working for them because they're spread all over the place. You know, They have accounts and all these different custodians, and they don't realize when they add it all together that they may not have enough of their money working to generate return because there's so much money sitting in cash right now. Well, you know what, guys? Last time I checked, if you look at the way inflation's growing since the end of World War II, it's going up by an average of about 3.1%. And if you think about what you're getting in your money market right now, it's probably less than 1%. So to the point that if you're not taking enough risk, your money is not going to be able to keep up with purchasing power because things in the future become more expensive. And that is basically a guaranteed loss in your portfolio by keeping too much money in cash or too much money in more conservative assets. Exactly, Chris. Think about that. Sitting in cash, you're guaranteeing yourself to lose money over time. And it feels so safe because your money's not fluctuating. But the reality of it is, on average, your money loses purchasing power. It gets cut in half every 20 years. So every million dollars you have sitting in cash is worth $500,000 over the next 20 years. Guaranteed 50% loss on your money, yet we view cash as the safe investment and we put too much money there. And at the end of the day, we're basically, Bob, setting ourselves up to lose. Well, this is why people who follow process, investors who are process-oriented instead of you know, just trying to guess which way the wind's blowing always succeed. So there's such a thing as a Goldilocks portfolio, which is perfect for you. You don't want the risk to be too hot. You don't want it to be too cold. You want it to be just right because getting from where you are now to your goals and your dreams, their values, that's what investing is all about. That's why a plan overcome your ability to absorb risk because there is some risk necessary. You just don't want to have too much. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Our famous financial master plan, simply go to www paincm.com slash financial plan or click on the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, money saved in taxes is just as green as any money can make invested, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on track to achieving your path to financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan and see if you qualify for a free financial review. Hey, this is episode 30, Pain Points of Wealth. If you're digging our content, you think what Bob says is very insightful. Chris does. I'm not quite sure. 
But if you like our content, please don't be shy. Click on the like button, subscribe to our channel so you can have our podcast delivered every single week to your inbox. And if you think what we're saying is valuable, don't be shy. Forward our content along. We're trying to get the good word out of pain points of wealth. All right, gentlemen, and I use that term loosely, the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Bob, as auto executives and investors buzz about the coming age of the electric car, many car dealers say they are struggling to square that enthusiasm with the actual reality. Given last year, battery-powered vehicles made up fewer than 2% of all U.S. auto sales. Yeah, I love it when I watch uh, the nightly news and they tell me that by 2035, all of us will be driving electric cars. Well, only 2% were sold this year. And I'll tell you who gets it are the Tesla executives. Because as people keep buying Tesla stock, the Tesla executives have been selling stock to the public. Well, if they think this is going to be the most amazing event in the next couple of years, why are they selling their stock, right? It's a very good point. If I'm holding Tesla stock right now, I'd be real concerned that the management's selling. Chris, Kathy Wood, head of the ARK Investment Funds, the fund company whose exchange-traded funds went up over 100% last year, we talk about them a lot on the show, told us recently in an interview that the traditional 60-40 portfolio of stocks versus bonds should now be 60-20-20. Stocks, bonds, and crypto. Is it time for paying capital to change our perspective? Well, you know, Ryan, I'm a big fan of the expression, you get a better outcome with income. And last time I checked, cryptocurrency doesn't generate any income. So I'm going to say hard no on that one. But Chris, Elon Musk is buying it. Isn't that enough to buy it for your own portfolio? (laughs) Bob, the best performing stock in the S&P 500 index in 2021. Surprising. It's not Tesla. It's Viacom CBS. It's up 155%. Who would have predicted that given their old school business model, Viacom literally only has about 10% of their revenue coming from streaming. You're talking about old school TV shows on old school networks. You know, Ryan, I know you are very bullish on the stock since you're a big fan of keeping up with the Kardashians. But, you know, most Wall Street strategists and analysts have a sell opinion on Viacom. That's why it's better to buy the index and don't buy individual stocks because it's too hard to guess. And by buying the index, you get the big winners. Or stock analysts are just bad stock pickers, one or the other. Chris, lumber prices have risen over 100% in the last 12 months, single-handedly increasing the cost to build a new home by almost 5%. Who says inflation's not real? One, well, gentlemen, inflation is totally real. And this is just evidence of that, that things as time goes on become more expensive. Even though strategists on Wall Street claim inflation is not coming. So we'll see. We'll see who's right. Bob, the first quarter results for companies that went public last year found that 81% were unprofitable. Similar, companies that went public in the year 2000 at the peak of the dot-com bubble, roughly 73% of those companies after their first quarter being public weren't profitable. Seeing a trend here? Well, let's see, Rye. If you buy companies that are unprofitable, what are the chances your stock transaction will be profitable? Well, here's some news for everyone. When you look at the IPO market, the initial public offering market, historically, it always underperforms the index. It always underperforms the market. So if you want to be invested and underperform the market and make less than the risk you're taking, buy IPOs. Or Bob, another way of putting it is profits are good. Buy companies that have profits. Chris, some investors may consider investment in the S&P 500 stock index to be enough exposure to economies outside of the US because of American companies' extensive sales and foreign markets. But that doesn't give investors exposure to the domestic growth of emerging markets 
And the share of sales of S&P 500 companies that comes from overseas has actually trended lower over the last couple of years. All I can say, Rai, is that emerging markets this year is doing a lot better than the S&P 500. So it certainly makes sense to have those distinctive and specific asset classes in your diversified portfolio. That's right. Buying US does not give you true global exposure. You heard it here first. You've got to diversify globally. All right, gentlemen, another great show. Hope you enjoy our podcast. If you really like it, give us some love. Hit on that like button and you can subscribe, get our weekly podcast right to your inbox. And as always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Oh,